Hashtags, a Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast. Hi, everyone. I'm Dorian Kundik. Welcome to Hashtags, the Gartner Marketing and Communications podcast, where I sit down with some of our best thinkers to share practical tips and strategic insights to help you stay ahead of the curve and add value to your organization. Our discussion for today, setting your comms house in order, data insights to help you shine. Results from Gartner's 2022 Communications Organization Survey reveal trends and comms functions that are at turns surprising, reassuring, and deeply concerning. Where should communications leaders focus their organizational efforts to ensure a more engaged and effective team? My guest today is an esteemed colleague of mine, Illy, who leads Gartner's research into marketing, communications, organization, and talent. Illy, could you take just a moment and say hi and introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, and thank you for having me here today, Dorian. My name is Ileana Kajustianova, uh, and I'm a director with our advisory team in London. Uh, and like you said, I look into marketing, communications, organ talent. Illy, this was the first year Gartner ran this kind of org survey for comms, and so it's exciting to finally have a data-driven perspective on team structure and what the implications are for some of the choices that communicators are making. And we're fortunate to have you here to kind of read the tea leaves for all of this uh, for us. So to kind of orient where we're at with this, comms seems to be the functional equivalent of a house that's always under renovation or that stretch of road that's always under construction. In fact, the survey showed, I think, upwards of 80% of comms teams are going through some sort of restructuring right now. Was that number surprising to you, just the enormity of that data? Yeah, that's right. Uh, the survey showed that uh, about 81% of comms teams are going through some sort of restructuring, but that was not surprising to me at all. Communications tends to resort to restructuring whenever uh, it's in flux, uh, when, uh, whenever there are some efficiency challenges uh, or just something else going on there. Uh, so it's usually tends to be a knee jerk reaction to some sort of a talent or efficiency issue. Are other functions always rearranging their furniture as much or is this relatively unique to communicators? I think other functions have more to play with because other functions tend to, like marketing, for example, they tend to have more established work streams, more advanced operating models. And so when you run into an efficiency issue, then they have a bit more levers to tinker with. And if you don't really have that, and a lot of communications teams are not as advanced in terms of how they think about org design, then they just resort to um, changes in org structure. Now, the other thing that uh, often happens, and it's totally natural, is when a new leader comes uh, into um, into the function and they see some sort of an inefficiency or process uh, that isn't working or perhaps a talent or skill issue. And so they also resort to a restructure uh, as um, the solution for this. But of course, it could be quite a disruptive thing to do. So we definitely warn against that being the knee-jerk reaction. Yeah, and it's already human nature to come in and want to change things as, as a way to make your mark. So I imagine that kind of compounds the situation. So almost everyone's org chart is in flux to some degree. You found that a little too predictable, it sounds like. But then the data we got from the survey takes 
a shocking turn, your word, shocking, in terms of how teams are choosing to structure. Tell me about that. What do the data tell you and why is it so counterintuitive, the direction that we've been going? Yeah, so I definitely didn't expect them to skew towards decentralization rather than centralization because during the pandemic, we definitely saw that strong trend towards centralizing resource, which makes a lot of sense in an environment of uh, stress, crisis, budget, talent constraints, um, and a heightened need for command and control that obviously comes with that sort of a crisis situation, we do tend to see resource centralized. Um, but then also when we uh, think about uh, all the issues that clients um, constantly have uh, with coordination and efficiency challenges, that also prompts us to think, okay, so they're more likely to centralize, but that wasn't the case. Why do you think that they're skewing this direction now? Is it again kind of a knee-jerk reaction? We've done it one way, now the pendulum is swinging the other way, or why is it suddenly skewing that other direction? So there's a couple of things that might be happening. The economy is definitely doing better, uh, and uh, teams tend, definitely tend to decentralize in a bull market. There's more resource available, um, and that way we might be able um, to support uh, local service better and to provide uh, more of that tailored support um, that obviously more resource uh, allows us uh, to do. And also, um, communications did really well during the pandemic. And uh, there was a lot of praise from business partners, but also uh, a lot of demand, um, increased demand from business partners. Uh, and so that responsiveness and that high demand might also be a reason why uh, they are decentralizing more so they can keep up and continue to support that. You talk to communicators about this all the time. Uh, with your perspective, is it generally a mistake to decentralize or are there conditions where it really does make sense, where it really is justified? Are there kind of some broad guidelines in terms of when this makes sense versus when you would wave around some warning flags saying you're about to get into a low value trap <laughs> that comms tends to fall into? When does it make sense or is it generally just a bad idea? No, I wouldn't say it's a bad idea. If it makes business sense and if it meets a particular business need and if done well, decentralization can definitely work. There are some challenges around visibility, around collaboration, and especially around coordinating global initiatives, like, for example, rolling out a strategy that need to be taken into consideration. Um, and those tend to be weak spots for comms teams generally. And so that's why in a decentralized model, uh, there are these pitfalls that they often fall into uh, that we caution against. Um, so there are pros and cons to both uh, central and decentralizing, but these are just some of the things that they need to keep in mind to make sure that they are running a decentralized model successfully. Let's talk about influence for just a minute here. I'll let you talk specifics on the data, but you're seeing an upward trajectory that must warm your heart a bit as someone who spends so much time coaching communicators on creating impact. Tell me about that trajectory. 
Oh, it's just absolutely lovely and heartwarming to see you put it really well. Uh, so uh, <laughs> we so we were able to put some questions on influence in there. And basically what we did is we asked senior most comms leaders to tell us how their level of enterprise influence has changed in the last 12 months. Uh, and 83% self-reported that their influence grew within the enterprise. And 27% reported that their top supporter is the C-suite, which is absolutely amazing. And it made all of us on the team feel really positive uh, and excited about this upwards trajectory. Was this surprising to you or would you have expected things to trend this way or did it catch you off guard to see such good numbers there? It wasn't surprising because comms did really well during the pandemic. Um, comms teams did such a good job supporting their organizations and their stakeholders internally and externally. Um, and they were absolutely instrumental um, in collaborating in a lot of uh, cross-functional tiger teams um, that were basically um, put in place to ensure the transition, uh, for example, to a hybrid workforce. Um, and so all of that visibility and support um, and stakeholder support was something that leaders really appreciated. Now, sadly, like one of my clients said, well, it took a pandemic for them to see how much, how important we are and how much we matter. Uh, so it did take a pandemic to get to that place um, that, that made us so happy. But given all the hard work that communicators um, uh, did over the last couple of years, it wasn't surprising to me that uh, influence grew. It was it, it was a great reflection of a job well done. Now, this data is self-reported, which always suggests taking it with a bit of a grain of salt, but. Again, you've been having conversations with communicators for years now about how to increase their influence. And it sounds like you're sensing a bit of a sea change on this, that it's not just kind of a pandemic-fueled influence bubble, right, but might actually last beyond this. Why do you find reason to feel hopeful that this will last beyond what is an, a never-ending pandemic? <laughs> this will last beyond the pandemic and that this trend is actually for real. Why do you have cause to feel hopeful? Well, think about the long-term implications of the pandemic and how it's completely transformed business environment, uh, both for our internal and external stakeholders. Um, so navigating all of these stakeholder groups um, that are now a lot more scattered uh, than before, um, that have a lot more visibility and voice than before, um, that uh, are also um, in need for more connection and more or collaboration, that is the business environment and the hybrid work model of the future. And so communications is going to be absolutely essential in brokering relationships between the organization and these internal and external stakeholders. Um, and internally, if you think about um, the hybrid workplace, uh, collaboration has become so important to make sure that people stay connected and they're focused uh, on the same performance objectives that you just can't do that without communication. So I definitely think that that influence uh, is hopefully there to stay. You know, as with so many things in life, uh, the patterns and trends tend to be a little bit cyclical. And I'm thinking back to your point about trending more decentralized now that we've made everybody super happy. Everybody wants their own communicator, right? And is expecting that higher level support. And that can become a dangerous cycle where the very things that helped us gain a greater seat at the table and establish greater influence could actually pull us back into our old ways. So what do communicators need to be 
wary of in order to avoid backsliding into a less valuable, more order taker, less influential type posture, almost because of the success they're having right now? They shouldn't mistake volume for value. Like you said, everybody wants um, a piece of the good thing. And if communications has been uh, delivering uh, so much volume at such great quality in a crisis situation. Um, and that's increased the visibility of the function and the outputs and outcomes delivered. Um, everybody's going to want a piece of that. Uh, now, we need to be extra vig vigilant in monitoring the type of demand uh, that communicators are meeting. Uh, so that means that um, they shouldn't be making any compromises uh, around prioritization. Um, they need to be quite rigorous when it comes to the intake process that they're observing when requests come in. Um, and the fact that there are more requests coming in doesn't mean that they need to service all of them. Uh, they, again, need to be uh, selective of the work that they accept into the function because you don't want that heightened demand to lower the value, diminish the value that they have fought and worked so hard uh, to uh, deliver to the organization. Uh, and the other thing that I think would be really helpful um, is to continue that collaboration with other functions. Uh, like I mentioned a few minutes ago, um, those uh, cross-functional tiger teams were really important in making sure that organizations were meeting the pandemic challenges successfully internally and externally. And so why do that only when there's a crisis because you have friends in compliance and HR and marketing and customer relations collaborating with these people on cross-functional projects, on rolling out a strategy, for example, um, or a new brand uh, or a corporate narrative, that would be so valuable. And so I think that's another lesson that we've learned um, and is something uh, that could really, really help um, with uh, what you mentioned, the backsliding into the old ways where we work in a silo and um, deliver on every request that has um, come through to the function. I want to turn finally to what the survey says about our comms teams themselves. Uh, we've got some really compelling data around turnover and engagement. You tell me this is actually your favorite part of the survey. Uh, I assume not because of the rather alarming picture that it paints, but because of the insights that you're able to extrapolate from it. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about that data around turnover and engagement? Yes, definitely. Uh, there's a lot of pain there. Uh, and so that obviously doesn't make me happy. Uh, but it does allude to some trends that I think are important for our clients uh, to keep in mind. Um, so uh, this isn't something new, uh, but uh, let me just speak to the specific data. So we asked those same uh, communications leaders to tell us what percentage of their teams resigned in the past 12 months. Uh, and the median number there was 20%, so 20% of teams resigned. Wow. I know. Wow. Uh, it's shocking. Um, and, uh, in, um, uh, and in, in, in some teams, uh, it got even, uh, up to 30% or over 30%. It was just a massive amount of people. But, uh, what's interesting to observe is that we also asked 180 marketing leaders the same question, uh, and their median number was 10%. So comms huh. resignation rates are double that of marketing. And that is really uh, important to note and observe uh, because it indicates burnout, 
um, limited options for flex work um, and poorly defined roles and responsibilities that we know have been issues for a long time, but coupled with a burnt out force um, that has just gone through a pandemic, we see that really, really high um, turnover rate. So let's unpack this a little bit, because I think this is really helpful for comms leaders to have squarely on their radar. Um, this turnover engagement, as you're saying, is going to be all kinds of intertwined, and you're highlighting some of these specific dynamics at the root. So I want to talk through each of these and give them a little bit of airtime. So those three dynamics you called out, uh, kind of the classic burnout scenario, which is kind of in and through everything, right? Uh, that general state of disarray around roles and responsibilities, which was really fascinating to see. And then this tug of war around flex work that you're calling out. So let's go ahead and look more closely at burnout generally. Um, I'm guessing that in part, what we're seeing is just reflective of the great resign that's been sweeping through the broader workforce everywhere, right? Uh, I suppose it's possible that communicators are looking around and saying, my job seems to really be in demand right now, I can do better. So I'm going to move elsewhere and climb the career ladder. But it's also possible that many are just burned out to the point that they're moving to Portugal to sit on a beach and finally write that novel. What is your sense of what's going on? Or is it kind of all of the above? What are you seeing? I would say it's all of the above. So you have, you mentioned the great resignation, and that's something that Gardner has looked into uh, quite a lot of detail. Um, there's, of course, that sense that uh, a lot of people just want to work on a boat. Um, and uh there's not always much that we can do about that. <laughs> but we shouldn't be tricked into thinking that that's the only thing that's going on here. We've seen very low levels of employee engagement on comms teams for actually the last five years, at least. Mm -hmm. uh, so that isn't new. Um, and it's an important trend to follow uh, because um, we talked about growing influence. Uh, with that influence, comms teams are also growing. But that doesn't mean that people are staying. So they're joining, but they're leaving quite quickly. Uh, and that is a massive talent pipeline risk. So thinking that, um, you know, uh, there's a, uh, there's a temporary trend now where people want, um, to go and work, uh, from Bali. Uh, but that's going to go away in a couple of years. And mm -hmm. it's just the current times. It actually doesn't reflect the deeper issue of low engagement that we see on Teams. Is it possible almost that uh, the pandemic has almost become, I mean, the pandemic, pandemic very real in terms of being an exhausting influence, right? A very big deal. And is it possible that we're in danger of using that as kind of an explanatory crutch? Because to your point, what is really interesting is we were burnt out and tired and quitting at historic rates before the pandemic. And I can see people putting this all on the pandemic and missing some of the other reasons in the process of doing that. Is there some danger of kind of overweighting this towards the pandemic as being the reason? 100%. I mean, a pandemic is exhausting, uh, as we all know. So comms teams have had to uh, help facilitate the transition to hybrid operations and working. Um, and most comms teams actually went remote as well. So that is really stressful. And you have to balance um, all of the uh, professional and personal challenges that came with that. Uh, but comms teams um, just pulling back from the immediate challenge and trend, they're chronically overworked uh, and they're often understaffed. Prioritization keeps coming up here uh, and that just relentless volume of business 
business partner requests and demands. That has contributed to burnout for many years. And comms leaders have struggled to protect their teams from that. They have struggled uh, to put some guardrails around team to protect the team um, from that demand and to establish terms of service that make sense for um, the goals uh, that the communications leader wants to support uh, in terms of business strategy, but also the capacity of the team um, to support both these goals and business partner requests. Uh, so the issue is a lot deeper uh, than just the pandemic. Um, and then we, you also mentioned um, uh, flex working, uh, which is something that we see obviously heightened demand for. Uh, and comps isn't the best uh, at offering that to employees uh, compared to marketing, for example. So uh, in the same survey that we've been talked to, uh, we've been talking about, we see that comps teams that are offering neither flexibility in work location nor in work days reported 54% more turnover than teams that offered both. Um, so I think what comms teams are telling us here is we've just been through a pandemic. Um, we're not very engaged to begin with. We've done an amazing job um, despite all of that in the last couple of years. And so we deserve that vote of confidence. We deserve that flexibility. And if we don't get it, we're just going to leave because it's the great resignation. And guess what? We can go somewhere else. Is your sense that this is a case of senior executives making communicators come into an office in a big city? Or is it actually a case of our own communications leaders thinking that they have to bring their teams in and be there at their elbow? Or again, is it kind of a mixed bag? Like, are, are we doing this to ourselves because part of our sense of value is feeling indispensable, which for us means sitting next to someone in the next office over from the C-suite? What, what is your sense, again, of the dynamic? Are, are we doing this to ourselves or are we having to change minds in the C-suite? I think it's both. So on the C-suite part, uh, I think there is that expectation and, and senior leadership in general. I think there is that expectation that communications is always going to be there at an arm's length and they're always going to be available for any types of support. Um, and I just need to see them to know that they're there. Uh, so I think there is a little bit of that. But again, we go back to um, that whole importance of the communications leader. Um, who needs to protect the team from all of that. Um, and so, um, like you said, in a sense, we're doing this to ourselves because we are um, oftentimes expecting teams to be there all the time and to be available. Again, we are equating value with availability and volume of output here. Uh, and that's just not a constructive way to think about value. Um, and uh, it often drives teams um, or communications leaders to make these decisions around flex work that are um, actually detrimental to engagement and they're not giving teams the vote of confidence that they deserve. So I think it is a matter of balancing expectations um, with the C-suite um, and also giving your team the vote of confidence um, that they deserve. And this can also really hamstring us when we're trying to attract the type of talent that we want, if we're not offering that option, right? That's not just a comms problem. We're seeing that across workers of every stripe right now, right? If we're trying to attract the best people and with comms, we're probably going to have some openings. <laughs> but if, if that flex work isn't on the table, that makes our job even harder to be able to bring in the top people. And I, I'm guessing we're going to see the impacts of that as well. 
Yeah, definitely. And it's um, like we saw, it's not just about attracting them. It's also about convincing them to stay. And um, these flex work options, uh, they're not a perk anymore. I think during the pandemic, we just uh, saw really people's professional and personal selves finally reunite. Um, we see people in their living room all the time. We see their kids and dogs running around. We see them in their workout clothes. And that doesn't mean that they're performing uh, any worse. And so that sort of flexibility and recognizing that giving people the space to be people and to take care of the personal because that is also going to make them better professionals is not optional. It's not a perk. If we want people to bring 100% of themselves to work, then we need to enable them to have that space to do that. And restraining that, uh, I think, is going to uh, cause comms leaders to lose a lot of talent or prevent them from retaining top talent. I want to go deeper on roles and responsibilities, what the survey had to, to say there. I think you used the word abysmal to describe the current state of affairs here. Tell me about what you were seeing around roles and responsibilities in that data. Sure. Uh, in the ORC survey, we asked comms leaders to tell us how 14 different core comms capabilities were handled by their teams. And they told us that 69% of those core activities either sit with teams that have other responsibilities or with every team in the function, which just sounds crazy. Um, and don't get me wrong, you don't need a specialized team for every single um, activity, but it's definitely a problem when ownership is unclear across most of them. So it means, uh, what does it mean? It means that um, we struggle to define our work streams, uh, that we're not great at collaborating and optimizing our resources. Um, and that again, leads to confusion of what it is that I do or why do I do? 27 things at once, um, and that causes burnout. So it's definitely an issue. In terms of roles specifically, again, notoriously poorly defined, it sounds like everybody has their major. And then because of these shared responsibilities, they have about seven different minors, right? Um, and you had made a point that this can create a massive issue for building out our type, our, our pipeline. Can you tell me a little bit about what types of issues that causes for our pipeline? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that I deeply care about. And I love talking to clients about this because they just don't have the time to think about this very often. Um, that sort of poor role definition. Um, and like you said, roles in communications are notoriously poorly defined, especially compared to marketing that has very clear swim lanes. Give me a couple examples of that. So um, think about uh, a content creator. Um, ideally, we want a content creator to create amazing content, collaborate with other content creators, collaborate with others on the team that are also involved in that project. Now, on a lot of comms teams, content creators are also business partners. So there is a significant um, chunk of your time, 30, 40% of your time, that is now dedicating to going back and forth with business partners. Yes, we can do this for you. Mm, I'm not sure. Maybe we can't do this for you. Let me check with my boss. And, and it's just snowballs. And it eats up a huge chunk of 
of your time. That's an example of a really poor role definition. Uh, it's an example of a communicator not being protected from business partner demand. Um, and so think about what that means in terms of retaining that person who is going to be burn out, burnt out, who's going to be frustrated if their primary role is content creation and they're not working on what they love, uh, then retention, retention and development uh, become huge issues. So when you have um, that lack of clarity in terms of what people's roles are going to look like and what they're going to own, of course, then it becomes much harder to market these roles because people are not sure what they're going to do. So it's not a very appealing career prospect. And if you uh, do get them to join the team, then in terms of development, you're not able to map out clearly how they're going to develop and grow in that role. Um, so that could be really, really disengaging. It also prevents us from creating um, uh, a robust succession plans because because, you know, everybody mm -hmm. does a little bit of everything. So when you're trying to figure out what you're going to do when people leave um, and they're responsible for so many things, it's hard to plan and attract somebody to take that role. Yeah. And I think for a good time, search around for different job descriptions that are being posted right now for communicators. And I know, I mean, just like you, I spend my time, I spend my days talking to communicators. So I know a thing or two about comms and I read these job descriptions and I'm like, how could any person ever do all these things? Like you're supposed to be the best writer and editor in the world and have great grip on business outcomes, but also be an expert in sustainability, right? The list, we just kind of add things on, right? And finding that person is unsustainable for many reasons. Um, I would assume this goes back also to the earlier discussion about that trend towards decentralization, where I would guess that decentralization tends to make all of this worse. I know that I've visited with several teams that are highly decentralized, where they've got communicators dedicated to bi different business units. And, you know, those senior leaders in those business units want experienced communicators working for them. They don't want someone who's two years into the job. So you end up with this team full of relatively expensive mid-career communicators with no budget or support to bring in younger talent and keep that pipeline going, right? Yeah, definitely. Uh, like I said, decentralization is definitely an option if it serves a business need. But if you don't have proper governance to um, uh, kind of guide people what they need to be working on and what level of support to provide to their pockets of the business, then you end up in a situation like what you just described. Um, so uh, a lot of the times we see um, also uh, communicators actually reporting into the business unit. And so that makes it even harder to govern that relationship. But you're absolutely right. Um, uh, a lot of senior leaders expect senior communicators to be aligned to them. And then you end up with all of these really senior, expensive people, um, oftentimes doing really tactical work. Uh, and then you just have no one left to take care of strategy and drive that. And that's what we want expensive people to do. Um, and that's another example of uh, really poor role and responsibility uh, definition when where uh, we hire uh, senior people to try and balance things out in terms of demand, but we actually staff them on low-level activities, and that doesn't really fix our problem with strategy, demand, and so on and so forth. You had mentioned something really interesting that these business unit aligned jobs, and this is just something leaders need to be aware of, these business unit aligned jobs aren't necessarily appealing 
to more senior or strategic or progressive communicators, right? Because they're kind of a roll of the dice in terms of the situation you end up in. It may be really good. It may be a career killer. I think it depends on the business acumen of the senior communicator, because you might have a senior communicator whose business acumen uh, only goes so far as to um, uh, allowing them to feel valuable and flattered uh, when uh, somebody really senior in the business is praising them. But when you have a truly senior and switched on communicator with very high business acumen, then you're right. They're going to be quite dissatisfied in a situation where they're aligned to a senior leader that perhaps is only tasking them with vanity projects. So um, I think, of course, again, it goes back to um, the communication senior most who needs to be able to navigate these situations and help the team out of disengaging um, uh, setups like that, but it also uh, speaks to um, the need to develop the business acumen of communicators so they themselves can push back on these lower value requests um, and uh, in just a, a setup of, um, you know, I am here to do everything for you just because you're a senior leader and I sit in your business unit. Like I said, if you have a strong communicator that is aligned to a strong business leader who is driving a regional or business unit strategy that is aligned to the overall organizational strategy, then you can make miracles happen. If not, that's not the case, that's when the problems begin. You have such great perspective on all of this. When you kind of take a step back and look at this survey, again, we're, we're going to be excited to have uh, data in the coming years from which to benchmark, right? But as you take a look at this survey, what is your primary advice for our communications leaders? Sure. Uh, so uh, to my dear comms leaders, uh, you've got heightened visibility now. Uh, you're so well positioned to make a real impact within and outside of your organization. So it would be a shame to miss out on that because you've not got your house in order. Uh, so don't let that be a missed opportunity uh, because the stars have aligned and all the world events that we're living through have aligned in a way that has elevated the profile of the function. Um, communicators have earned that. They've worked really hard to achieve that. And so they shouldn't let that slip away uh, because of some internal disarray that is ongoing and just isn't addressed properly. What can Gartner clients look forward to in terms of support over the coming months? Sure. So we've got ongoing uh, benchmarking and survey uh, insights. Um, as you know, uh, what we're talking about today is one great example um, to uh, show some of these macro trends uh, that are guiding the industry um, so that people can see kind of how they fit within that. Uh, of course, we also have fantastic research and advisory support on operational efficiency and org structure. Um, the thing to keep in mind is that uh, no one size fits all. Uh, if we get that question all the time. How do I structure myself uh, if, uh, you know, I'm in retail or if I'm an organization uh, that has uh, over 20 billion revenue? Uh, and that is not the right question to ask uh, because um, it, it, organizations and teams are so unique in terms of their setup, in terms of their priorities and their challenges. Uh, and that's why where our advisors and analysts come in. Um, we're here to talk it through with you and offer advice based on your own unique challenges 
challenges and priorities. Uh, so definitely give us a call because uh, we'd love to hear from you uh, and help you out on this journey that isn't easy, but it's quite exciting. Illy, great words of advice. And thank you so much for joining us on the episode today. And thanks to all of you for listening into hashtags. We hope to see you on a future episode. Take care. Please subscribe and share the episode with your colleagues. Thank you for listening. Gartner Podcasts are a production of Gartner, the world's leading research and advisory company, equipping executives across the enterprise with indispensable insight, advice, and tools to achieve their mission-critical priorities. You can learn more at Gartner.com. All content in Gartner Podcasts is owned by Gartner and cannot be repurposed or reproduced without Gartner's consent. Gartner is an impartial, independent analyst of business and technology. This content should not be construed as a Gartner endorsement of any enterprise's product or services. All content provided by other speakers is expressly the views of those speakers and their organizations.